Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Living Out Podcast. At Living Out, we want to help churches to be biblical and to be good places for those coming to grips with issues around sexuality. And sometimes that involves difficult questions, such as the one we're going to explore today. Is it inherently sinful to be same-sex attracted? Now, I'm relieved I'm not going to try and answer that on my own. It's great to have Ed and, and Andrew with me. And this is an exciting day for us because for the first time, we are recording the Living Out podcast in person. We're all together in the fine city of Bristol. So, Anne, why are you excited to be in Bristol today? Well, I mean, obviously, seeing you guys is uh, is the top reason. Um, but I also found out that Bristol's the world's biggest manufacturer of hot air balloons. So that's made me pretty excited. Is that what we're going to do later today? Um, <laughs> yeah, on expenses. <laughs> Andrew, why are you excited to be here? I don't know much about Bristol, but when I think of Bristol being me, I think of the theatres quite well known. And I've heard on the grapevine that Bristol Hippodrome has one of the largest theatre stages in the UK. And that's quite exciting. And actually, next time we're here, I think Lion King's showing. So I may even come early and see if I can catch a show. <laughs> it just had to involve musical theatre. Of course. Just to annoy Ed. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me as a visitor, I, I think cities have to have lots of water in them. A, a city without water is rubbish, and Bristol's just got this really big river running all the way through it. So I, I like Bristol for that reason. Ed, you actually live here. Are you glad to live in Bristol? Yeah, the only time I haven't been glad to live in Bristol was when I went to the Bristol Hippodrome and watched, <laughs> and watched Joseph and his amazing kind of dream go. And I must admit, that was the moment when they wouldn't go off the stage until everybody in the theatre was standing up and I was the last person to stand up. It was their last night in Bristol and it was good riddance to them, I can tell you. But otherwise, apart from that evening, I've loved the last 20 years living in Bristol. Excellent. Well, moving on for doing an advert for the Bristol Tourist Board, let's deal with our issue today. Is being same-sex attracted inherently sinful? So why does this question matter? Why does it matter whether same-sex attraction is sinful uh, or not? Ed, do you want to start? Yeah, I think I think certainly why this feels so important to me as an episode and as a question and as an issue is I think particularly well from much of my teen years, twenties, and into my thirties, um, I just every time I found a another man attractive, I would be completely and utterly paralysed with guilt, and I would be reminded of. Uh, you know that that was sinful, and I would feel that um, I couldn't um, be in God's presence for a while, and it just meant that all it took for me to spiral into shame and to actually move away from God or to feel that God wouldn't love me and welcome me was just seeing another good-looking man. And turns out you see good-looking men quite often, <laughs> and that meant that I spent a lot of my life uh, as a Christian uh, feeling just sinful and worrying that God. Uh, wouldn't accept and welcome me. I think I can empathise with with some of that. It, it was probably more as a teenager, but I I remember going through the early years of you know experiencing attraction to other guys, and I think the key thing for me was I could never actually pray about it. You know, it took me years to actually talk to God 
about my experience of same-sex attraction. And I think it was largely just shame. You know, was God repulsed by it? For me, in a sense, it was it was just that awareness of shame that kept me actually from talking to to God about it. And I remember actually a huge sense of relief when I finally managed to talk to the Lord and say, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. So again, probably a, a sense that it's inherently sinful was actually what kept me from talking to to the Lord about it. And I think also then stopped me talking to other Christians about it as well, because we often struggle, don't we, to confess our sins to each other. I know we're encouraged to do that in Scripture, but I just found that I had, you know, I had these attractions that I I thought were entirely sinful and therefore entirely shameful. And that was the thing that then stopped me saying to Christian sisters and brothers who were wanting to support and help me, this is something I experience. So the sort of shame and the sinfulness and thinking these things were entirely sinful and shameful made me just alienated from God, but also alienated from other people as well. And so lonely and isolated a lot of the time. So it matters because we don't want people to carry around an inappropriate sense of shame. I guess the, there's another reason, though, why the question matters is because we do want to run away from what is actually sinful. You know, sin is something that's grievous to God. He's given us so many good things. We don't want to sin against him. And so that's why it matters that we get to grips with this question of what is and what isn't sinful when it comes to same-sex attraction so that we don't carry around inappropriate shame, but we do repent of that which needs to be repented of. And, and And that we see that in terms of what's good and bad for us. As well, because I think you know sometimes just just thinking is it sinful? Is it on some sort of some some list of rules that I'm breaking? Or actually, no, it, it's really we want to answer this question partly because we want to know what's good for us, and we want to embrace what's good for us, and we want to avoid what's harmful, and we want to run away from what might damage us and other people. That definitely resonates to me of why I've really wrestled with this question. With me, it hasn't so much been about carrying shame about my sexuality personally, but it has been just a sense of. I love Jesus. I want to faithfully follow him. It really matters. Scripture rightly talks really seriously about sin, saying it's a serious thing. So it it matters that we know what is and isn't sin, how we should grow in holiness. But then also linked to that, it matters. And it's enough to say it matters because sin is uh, important because it's such an offence against God. But also is conscious that holy living is good for us. When God calls us to live his way of holy living, yes, it's because the right thing, but also gloriously God has ordained things that what is right is also good for us. And so for me, actually, it's being working out what does holy living look like uh, in relation to my sexuality, because I know that will be the best thing for me, as well as the right thing and the thing that honours God most. So given that this matters, why is it complex? Why is it a difficult question to answer? Why is it in line with this series, a question nobody wants to answer? Why is it difficult working out whether same-sex attraction is sinful or not? This is so difficult for for us because at one level, I've got people around me saying, um, actually, you know, all your sexual attractions are right um, all your sexual desires are right. You should just go for it. You should be in a same-sex sexual relationship. When you fancy someone, you should, 
you know, be going after them. You should be beginning a sexual relationship with them. That's what society's saying to me. Loads of my, you know, non-Christian family and friends would just be wanting to say, hey, go for it. Stop, stop saying no to same-sex sexual relationships. Embrace one, get into one as soon as possible. And then on the other side, I've got people who are saying, you know, every single moment where, or every single time in your life where you have been drawn to towards a good-looking guy are it is a moment of of complete sin there's nothing good about it and and that's as i've already sort of sort of talked about sort of helped me sort of plunge into into sort of feelings of shame and isolation and loneliness and you just you just just stuck between two really difficult situations i don't want to uh, embrace same sex relationships because the Bible, I think, really clearly teaches that sex is for marriage and a man and a woman. But I also don't want to live at the bottom of a dark black hole where all I'm thinking is there is nothing good about my sexuality at all and any of my desires and attractions to people of the same sex are all entirely wrong. That's not a healthy way, way to live. Yeah, and I think um, if same-sex attraction in and of itself is sinful, it's unclear kind of what to do about that. I mean, I didn't choose to be same-sex attracted. You know, I um, it... it, it involuntary and so um it would seem that if if uh in a sense becoming straight is what needs to happen for me to follow Christ then I I'm I feel a bit doomed you know um and I think we've talked in other podcasts that the the goal um is for us to steward our sexualities well it's not to become straight um we've talked about conversion therapy and how how that's had some really damaging effects um so I think, yeah, for me, the question is about how do I steward my sexuality well and respond to same-sex attraction in a healthy and godly way um, rather than, you know, feeling guilty about the attractions themselves. Another point of complexity is probably just the definition of same-sex attraction. And it's my observation that often in discussions around the question, is same-sex attraction inherently sinful? There's often not very helpful, clear clarity on what's being discussed. Same-sex attraction is um, a term we use but covers a, a range of parts of experience. Are we talking specifically about sexual desire and then are we talking about kind of pre-conscious desires that emerge or are we talking about deliberately indulging those desires in lust? Are we talking about appreciation for beauty in the way a same-sex attracted person will notice beauty in person the same sex more easily than somebody the opposite sex? Are we talking about how one uh, conceives of oneself and identifies the relative importance or lack of one puts or their sexuality in terms of who they are as a person? All of these things seem to be mixed up in this discussion, yet often aren't actually parsed out separately. And it's likely that the answer isn't the same for all of them. So it's actually real complexity just because same-sex attraction is not a simple uh, kind of one-part thing which you can easily evaluate as to sinful or not sinful. I totally agree. And I think um, in a sense... Um, all friendships have some element of attraction, don't they? I mean, you can be attracted to someone's looks or their personality or their skills, even their um, their godliness. You know, I, I think sometimes I find that really attractive in another person. Um, and and I guess um, there's always the potential for those attractions to turn into something more so, th- to turn into then a desire, a lustful desire or um or to develop some sort of idolatry over that relationship. But it doesn't mean that the initial attractions are wrong in themselves. So, yeah, it does does make things quite complicated. I mean, for me, a moment that was just really helpful in my life, and I've talked about this probably elsewhere, is, is just watching a TV drama with my parents. And they've been a really good-looking young 
um, actor playing the main role and me sitting there noticing that. And then just at various points, my both my parents, heterosexual, saying, he's a really good looking young man, isn't he? And I'm thinking, don't, yeah, don't tell me. you know. Um, and I just recognising yeah, he was a good looking young man. And my mum noticed that and my dad noticed that and I noticed that. And actually just noticing that was something that actually anybody that has any insight into what's considered to be physically attractive in Western society today would know that this young man was attractive. And me sitting there thinking, all oh, the fact that I've noticed he's attracted, attractive is a sin was just, was just ridiculous because he was obviously an attractive young man and anybody would have seen that and I think it's also you know as, as Anne's pointed out personality as well we've we've probably all been part of friendship groups which in which they're just some people that have just the sort of personality that everybody wants to hang out with them or they're just natural leaders or they're just the sort of they've got a confidence about them um uh, you know that that is just that draws people to them and I think we just got to recognize that that's just quite a natural thing and quite a right thing and to plunge people into guilt because they've noticed this attractive in whatever way personality of the same sex as you does not necessarily mean that you have crossed the line into shameful sin. I think that's true. My, I suppose my observation would be if I were to see an attractive actor on a on a television uh, drama or whatever there will also be the temptation to sin will actually be part of that experience so i won't be able to just say oh they're attractive that's wonderful probably quite quickly afterwards there will be oh they're attractive i wonder you know where can i see them more or there'll be the pressure to then go further uh, in my my thinking which means that in much of our experience of same-sex attraction, there will at the very least, alongside good things like desire for friendship, there will be a temptation to sin, it seems to me, will be part of the experience. And the Bible's got an awful lot to to say about that, which is a helpful resource. And then I think, but I think what we need to then do in that moment is not just, oh, um, I should not notice, I should not notice, I should not notice. Instead, it's, I have noticed this is an opportunity now to sin and I need to be aware of that and I need to recognise that, you know, in the past that's basically what I've nearly always done in this situation. But actually instead I want to say this is, it is an opportunity to sin, but it is, it could be, it can be, and I'm trying to develop um, the ability for it to be an opportunity actually to praise God for beauty. And so the moment when you notice, you know, an attractive person, an attractive personality is to think, okay, I've used this to sin in the past. This is a dangerous moment for me. Um, What I'm going to try and do is praise God for the beauty uh, that I've just seen and recognize that any beauty scattered in creation in any way, shape or form is actually a call to worship. So to worship God, who's given beauty, who's created this beautiful person with this beautiful personality, and to thank him for that, and for it to be an opportunity to worship him, God, rather than to descend into sin and idolatry and think, this beautiful person is going to satisfy me. Now, actually, the God they point me to is going to satisfy me, and it's a chance to worship him. I agree. I think that approach is so helpful. I think that then begins to map onto things that scripture does say one of the things i'm reflecting as we talk around the different facets of same-sex attraction is one of the difficulties then actually of the bible doesn't have 
a term for same-sex attraction, like a direct concept as we do on modern culture, but different elements of biblical teaching would fitting it. And I think what you're saying, Ed, actually about desires are natural parts of being human. Many desires are good desires for beauty, a good kind of God-given thing. But then it's how we handle that, what we do with that is, I think, that's something that chimes with Scripture. So it reminds me of kind of James 1. And James 1 talks about desire and the risk of it leading us and enticing us to sin, which importantly does seem to separate desire and sin. But I can think presumably desire can lead you and entice you to sin. Presumably there's also good things to do with desire, right ways to handle desire. And so actually I think that distinction between, oh, I've got this instinctive, in a sense, human response. And yes, we're fallen humans. That might be uh, shaped, impacted, distorted by sin. But there's an innate human experience happening. I've got to choose. Do I let that entice me into sin, as James talks about? Or do I let it actually lead me somewhere good and do something healthy with it so i think actually james one would be somewhere which indicates the kind of thing you're saying is exactly how we should be thinking about handling desire there is a moment of pain isn't there for in that though i mean i i love to be able to say that my instinctive response when experiencing attraction to another guy is automatically to go towards praising the Lord for for beauty. There's probably something else because actually of the reality of sinful desire within us wanting to take me in a, in a different direction. One of the things that's helped me quite a lot is just reflecting on Jesus at that moment. It, it goes back to this sense of shame actually that we started with. I love the way in which Hebrews will talk about Jesus being the one who can sympathize with us yet being without sin. One of the key moments for me was was wrestling with what is Jesus thinking at the moment when I'm in that seeing an attractive guy, what am I going to do with that? I'm feeling the pressure to go in a bad direction with it. Seeing Jesus as one who's fundamentally sympathetic, that he's looking down and saying, you know, I, I sympathize, I know what temptation is like and yet was able to resist it. Actually seeing Jesus in that moment as sympathetic is fundamentally useful in not turning same-sex attraction into a sinful pattern of thinking and behaviour. And it's Jesus as well as the the friend of sinners. I was just struck recently just kind of reflecting on that phrase again and the the stories of Jesus dining with you know tax collectors prostitutes sinners and everyone kind of questioning him hating him for that and just struck how Jesus ministry on earth showed him being being drawn to those people and he says specifically he's come for uh, the sick rather than the well those who realize they need help and I just really felt God impressed upon me that fact that actually Jesus isn't just the friend of sinners kind of out there in the world as it were he's also friends of sinners who are his followers and there's that beautiful Thomas Goodwin the Puritan um, quote about the fact that when we are inflicted by sin actually Jesus' heart is drawn to us in that in the way that a father is drawn to a child who is ill and actually they hate the illness afflicting the child but they love their child even more in the midst of that and so just in this whole conversation i just find it so helpful to remember the heart of jesus and actually the reality is i'm far more sinful than i realize that that's true for all of us and yet actually the reality is jesus loves me even in my sin far more than i could ever imagine and that's just a wonderful foundation to have in place in these kind of discussions and I think also just when we ask the question, is same-sex attraction sinful, is there's there's a real danger for those of us who are same-sex attracted that it becomes the only area of our life that we're really focusing on when it comes to a battling sin. And, and actually, I found it really helpful to sort of actually dig below um, the sort of surface of, of, of my sinful patterns of particularly thinking. So 
actually, when it comes to same-sex attraction, um, I will often find particularly attractive people who are just beautiful, but also just the people I would like to look like. Uh, and that is, what's the sin there? The sin there, most of all, is envy, and it's a discontentment with who God's created me to be and who I am. And actually, the things I should be repenting of and calling out a sin, actually not necessarily, primarily, the fact that I've been attracted to this guy that's just walked onto the TV screen, actually the fact that I'm envious of him and the fact that I'm not content with all the good things God's given me, including my body and what I look like. And and actually, that might be the thing to really repent of. That might be the sin to call out rather than the fact that I've just found somebody that's walked onto the TV screen attractive. It's interesting that you mentioned, because I think it's easy for those of us who are same-sex attracted to just make that our one big thing. And uh, I was kind of doing quite well with it a few years ago. And then I um, I realised that I was totally addicted to playing stupid games on my mobile. <laughs> and it kind of it really brought me up short. I thought, oh gosh, there are other sins in my life. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, yeah, I think it, like what Andrew says, we are more sinful than we realise. And um uh, yeah, it's it's just helpful to recognise that it's not my one thing, and I can uh, disregard every other area of my life. And often there are um, there are common roots to things, aren't there? And then the answer to sort of become godly is not just to say no, um, because what will ha- we need to replace it with something good. So yeah. I've noticed sometimes that I'll I'll perhaps go for a good a bad patch of yeah, just looking up guys I think are quite attractive on the internet, and then I stop that day, but I spend more time on Right Move. <laughs> You know, and, and <laughs> you, you just swap guys for houses. Exactly, swap. <laughs> I swap guys for houses. Um, well, actually, what I should be doing is thinking, okay, there's this thing I should stop doing. What's the positive thing I can replace it? And this is this is Tom again. This is in, the greats from the past. You know, they all seem to be called Thomas. Thomas Chalmers. You know, the expulsive power of a new affection. So that when you've got something you want to change in life, something you want to get rid of, it's not just right. I'm never going to do that again. It's oh, what's the positive I'm going to do instead? And that's why I found it helpful to think, okay, I'm not going to worship this guy for his beauty. Instead, I'm going to worship God for his beauty. It's saying there's this negative, damaging thing I've got to stop doing, but I'm going to replace it with something positive. And you know, actually, the best times of my life are not when I'm on the internet looking for good-looking guys or on right move uh, looking for the perfect house, but the times when actually I'm much more content with who I am and God's created me to be and the wonderful uh, house which you're going to hang out with me in tonight that God's given me. So it's contentment that actually is the answer there and perhaps a lack of contentment, the real deep, dark sin. We will try not to envy your house tonight, but um, what we're, we're saying, trying to pull some threads together, is that it is just complex, that that same-sex attraction has, it, it's multifaceted. There are going to be good things like desire for friendship, desire for beauty, probably inherent within it because we're broken people will be a temptation to sin uh, at least. And we're beginning to explore ways in which we handle that, uh, whether by uh, seeking affection uh, elsewhere, seeking to direct our affection elsewhere, uh, realizing the sympathy of Jesus uh, and so on. In the last part, we'll focus on how we move forward uh, with this and how we grow in godliness. 
Hello, Anne here, just letting you know that the Living Out Roadshow is now underway. We're coming to Leicester on Saturday the 5th of March and Lancaster on Saturday the 19th of March with training on sexuality and our culture, the biblical picture and how we can support same-sex attracted Christians at church. You can find out more and book at our website livingout.org. So we've picked up that there are different elements to this. There's appreciation of beauty, desire for friendship. There's probably a temptation to go further uh, than we should. Do do you think that's answered the question? Is there more to say than that? I think there probably is. Previous listeners of the podcast will remember that I'm very pedantic and analytical, so I'm bound to be the one who says there's more. I think what we're saying, and it's so important to say, is the answer to the question is yes and no. We've talked on that a lot. There's some clear no stuff as well. Um, sorry, clear yes stuff, things that are sinful we haven't talked about, but where clarity isn't helpful to bring. So so the reality is Scripture is really clear that lustfully desiring after someone is sinful. Jesus really clear on that in Matthew, that actually in Matthew 5, you think that adultery is the issue, but actually even adultery in the heart is the issue. But actually what's so important, I think, in that passage, often misread, I think, actually in these discussions, is Jesus, in the way he talks about that, is very clearly specifically talking about deliberately looking with the purpose to lust. He describes the person as a looker in the sense of his person is defined by their looking, and he uses a purpose construction. The reason they look is to lust. He's not talking about the instinctive response we have to beauty. He's talking about the choice to look and to lust. And that's really important. He's making that point. And that, he says, is sinful. And that, he says, there's some radical stuff we should do. Immediately after it, he says, how do you deal with that? If your right hand causes you to sin, drop it off. If your left eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And that's really helpful. That shows us Jesus is talking about something very deliberate you choose to do, not something that instinctively happens, because your response is to take radical action to help you not do it. Your response is not to say, oh, I've done it again. Oh, isn't it awful that deep down I'm so bad? So in a sense, yes, sinful, it lust, uh, same-sex lust is sinful, just as all uh, lust for sex outside of marriage is sinful. But actually, it's that choice to do that and to dwell on that as sinful we should be radical about not the instinctive response to beauty and the instinctive desire. Or, or another way to be pedantic about all of this, if we, you know, we're, we're having a competition about who can be the most pedantic. I mean, I know I'll lose against Andrew, but yep. let's try. Um, you know, is that is that you know everything everything I've ever thought, said, and done as a human being has been infected with sin. You know, that that's just humanity. That's just being a human being. Is that everything? Everything about me is infected by sin. Now, you know, and this is what the Bible teaches, isn't it? We're created in the image of God. We're his image bearers. Um, we have good desires. We have, we want to say and do good things. But the fall, the doctrine of the fall, the doctrine of original sin says everything I've done has been out of the fact that I'm created as God's image bearer to do things for him. But it's all being in every single expression. There's something that has been infected by sin. And so when we ask the question, is same sex attraction sinful? That would be another way of saying yes, but everything's sinful. Is, you know, are my sermons sinful? Yes. Uh, you know, is my cooking sinful? Yes, you're going to find out later <laughs> on tonight. You know, everything that I've ever done has been infected in some way, shape or form by sin. And that's not wanting to minimise it in any way, or but it's actually wants to recognise that you know it's another pedantic way of asking answering this question is you know sin has got everywhere, and um, that's why we're so in need of a God of grace who is willing to clean up a sin everywhere it's found. And that's because pride infects everything, and 
yeah, will be seen in in all that we do and all that we think. But but given that, how do we actually make progress? I, I think that's quite an important question because what we said in previous podcasts is we don't think it will be the case that everybody who experiences same-sex attraction will suddenly end up becoming opposite-sex attracted. D- does that mean we don't believe in progress? What what might progress look like for somebody who's same-sex attracted and, and how do we get there? I think for me, I mean, l- like you say, my um, my sort of orientation, if you want to call it that, hasn't changed. So my my, if I'm going to be attracted to somebody, it would be other women. Um, I think as I've grown in my Christian faith and my walk, I've seen um, some of those attractions lessen. Um, it's not necessarily a sort of um, a, a nice, neat trajectory. There are there are times where it's harder and times where where it's not harder. But I think um, being able to recognize um, same-sex attraction and talk about it with other people without a sense of guilt and shame about the initial attraction has been enormously helpful Um, because I think if you just feel as Ed was talking earlier completely guilty right from the start it's 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 very hard to experience freedom in Christ and actually grow in your faith um but also, yeah, I, I suppose it's like any kind of area of discipleship, deciding to um, take thoughts captive to Christ, being accountable to people about things um, that I say and do and becoming better versed in the biblical story on sexuality, becoming more and more convinced that that is what's good for me. It is God wants the best for me. He's not a big killjoy trying to stop me having fun but actually this is the way for me to thrive uh, as a human being as a Christian Um, so growing to I guess trust God more with my life um, love him more Um, I'm always uh, reminded of that story when Jesus talks about if somebody asks uh, if your son asks you for um, some bread would you give him a snake you know I mean God wants to give us good things and I think I've become more and more convinced of that and that's made it easier to say no to the things that my heart wants sometimes to be able to choose what God wants for me uh, over and above that. I agree with that. I think for me, the issue is what controls me. So essentially, am I controlled by sexual desires or am I controlled by Jesus? That that feels like quite an important question. And the thing that enables me to be controlled by Jesus is to enjoy the story that we're living out tell so often. So we say that marriage is for a man and a woman because it's a picture of Christ and the church. That's where eternity is heading. Now, it's very easy for me to sort of announce that as a sort of fact without it getting inside me. It's actually as I enjoy that story, as I think this is the trajectory of my life, I'm engaged, I'm going to be part of the the bride married to Jesus. And when that thrills me, it's not that my fundamental sexual attractions change, it's just they lessen in as much as they control me less. And so for me, enjoying seeing Jesus as the one to whom our sexuality points ultimately, when that story controls me, I'm less likely to be controlled by the the temptations that may grab me. I think for me, you know, progress in this area, greater godliness, is better processing human beauty and not leading to shame but also instead leading to praise and a greater appreciation of Jesus which I suppose is what you've just been saying Andy but you know and part of that is actually is using Jesus to de- to dethrone the idol so actually sometimes just thinking okay um that this this good looking guy is good looking he's he's beautiful i i'm drawn i'm drawn to him why why am i drawn to him and actually do a sort of a, a comparison and contrast with Jesus 
you know, Jesus's beauty um, will never fade. Um, this person's beauty will fade. And actually, one of the helpful things about being in your mid 40s is that, you know, I look back at some of the people I thought were drop dead gorgeous when we were growing up in our teenage years. And, and it turns out they're now middle aged men and they're not particularly good looking. But Jesus's beauty is eternal, will never fade. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to invest in beauty, if I'm going to worship beauty, I'm a fool if I'm not worshipping uh, the beauty that we see in Jesus. And my guess is, uh, you know, there'll be some listening to this who, you know, maybe are just racked with with guilt. And what we've been trying to head towards is don't carry around inappropriate shame. Where there is the sort of lust that we're regularly engaging in, we've kind of talked about what needs to happen, that, you know, repentance will need to happen. So maybe that there is uh, action to take. But in the midst of that, to know Jesus to be this friend of sinners. One of the things I love in the Gospels is is the way Jesus is very clear about the appropriate context for uh, sexual activity and is pretty stringent on that, and yet at the very same time is the one who will go towards the sexual sinner and say, your sins are forgiven. And so again, it may be for somebody listening to this, that's what you need to to know, the forgiveness of sins, which then empowers you to to live differently. So our message would be don't carry around inappropriate shame. And where there is stuff that just needs repenting of, go back to Jesus, uh, who's ready to forgive. Just before we go, any resources on this that people have found helpful? Yeah, there's a couple of um, articles on our website. Uh, There's one called Gay, Shame and Jesus by a guy called Greg Johnson. And we've also got one called How Can I Find Freedom from Shame uh, by Rob Wood. Both really worth uh, reading, especially if you're grappling with uh, feeling shame over same-sex attraction. Uh, I've written, I suppose, a little bit more detail about a lot of the stuff I've been saying in uh, my book, uh, Purposeful Sexuality, A Short Christian Introduction, and then an article um, the name of which I've forgotten. So Anne's going to read uh, the, the the article title uh, for us. It's called How Do You Cope With Ongoing Same-Sex Attraction? And obviously that's brilliant. Uh, Anne loves that <laughs> article. So uh, do read it just to keep <laughs> Anne happy. Um, I've written something about not looking for a prince, which uh, is a, a blog based on Psalm 146, which again just tries to prevent us from uh, idolatry when it comes to, uh, to friendships. Uh, Andrew, anything you want to mention? I found a few helpful resources um, from Preston Sprinkle and his uh, friends over in the States. There's a blog, Is Same Attraction Sinful? from Preston on his website, which is actually a paper he presented at a uh, academic conference, which is really helpful. And then one of the pastoral papers of the Centre for Faith and Sexuality um, is also on this topic. And I think it's a really helpful handling of it too. Thanks so much for listening to the uh, latest uh, question that nobody wants to answer. Uh, we're back uh, again in two weeks' time. Uh, do join us then. And in the meantime, do check out all the resources uh, on the uh, website, livingout.org. Vast array of uh, stories, blogs, articles, and so on. Most questions you'll have, they're answered somewhere there. Do check it out and then do join us again in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.